Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, we, uh, we again welcome your presence. I thank you for your constant provision in our lives. Uh, and I pray that, um, uh, that we would give back to your kingdom, Lord. And I pray that you would bless every gift, uh, that you would grow your kingdom, not our own, Lord, uh, in this church, in our lives, in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, again, Happy New Year. I hope you had a good Christmas uh, with your family. I hope many of you are feeling better. I know there was a lot of sickness recently. Uh, so it's good to see some of you again. Not all of you, but some of you, it's good to see you again. Um, I spent a few days this week at Life Ministries Retreat Center. I do this every year, and I just kind of uh, take a few days to cast vision over the coming year. And I'm really excited about some of the things that we have scheduled. It gives me a chance to really lay out the entire coming year. Uh, and I'm excited. One of the things that I'm really excited about is a series that we're going to begin next week. Um, whenever someone asks me, uh, Pastor, uh, I've never really gotten into reading the Bible, but I would like to try. I've just never been able to get into it. Where should I start? I always say, just open to Leviticus and start there. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say there. Uh, I say, always start in the Gospel of John. Uh, that's just where I point people to if you're reading for the first time uh, the Gospel of John. So I thought what I would actually like to do is just walk through the book of John, the Gospel of John together as a church. So beginning next week, uh, we're going to begin a, a chapter a week. Some, some weeks we'll have to do two chapters, but about a chapter a week, and it's going to take us all the way through Easter, uh, going through a chapter a week in the Gospel of John. I'm excited about that, and we're going to uh, be in the Gospel of John a little bit today, uh, so just kind of previewing some of that that's going to happen. But the first Sunday of each year, we call it Vision Sunday. So this is kind of when I'm praying at, uh, at the castle, we call it, but Life Ministries, uh, I'm kind of praying for a word for the coming year. Last year, the word that I felt the Lord gave us as a church was to be positioned with purpose. So this is uh, not just acknowledging that God has positioned us with purpose where we are, that, that we're here with purpose, we're here on purpose, but it's that we are responding by positioning ourselves with purpose. In other words, we're positioning ourselves to hear the voice of God, to recognize the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and to be used by Him. This year, as I was praying, I kept coming back to two words, and simple words, the one. That this is a year that's all about focusing on the one. For some of us, it's about refocusing on the one. And you say, the one what? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, so there are a few layers to this that I believe God is calling us to this year. And I don't know uh, if you're a New Year's resolution person. Anybody New Year's re resolution people? Okay. <laughs> well, this is sort of a spiritual New Year's res resolution, so maybe you can give it a shot. Uh, there are going to be a few things today that you can implement into your spiritual lives in the coming year. And as we dive in, focusing on, on this, this concept of the one, I want to begin in John chapter 5. So in John chapter 5, Jesus encounters a man at the pool of Bethesda. The pool of Bethesda in their culture, uh, there was a belief that, uh, that if the blind and the lame and the paralyzed came and, and an angel would come and stir the waters, if you could be the first one in the waters after the angel stirred the waters, you would be healed. Now, the Bible doesn't go into whether this was actually a reality, a truth or not, uh, but it does uh, very much imply that people believed it was true because the Bible says people were gathered there constantly. There were always lots of, of sick people, paralyzed people gathered there. 
And in verse 5, Jesus encounters a man who has been coming to this pool for healing for many years. And that's what I want to read about in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. It says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I, had no, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat. And he walked. Now, there are several different uh, angles that we could approach this story from. Uh, first of all, we could just approach it from the sheer supernatural power that Jesus had to heal. Uh, in the Gospel of John, this is sort of a, a first of its kind miracle. In the previous chapter, Jesus had healed the Roman official's son. Uh, but in this moment, it's not just a sickness, it's a man who was an invalid. He couldn't even get himself into the pool unless someone picked him up and put him in the pool. And he had been that way for nearly four decades. Uh, I love that song that we were singing that it just takes one word because that's the simplicity we find here. Jesus simply says, get up, take up your mat and walk. And this man who had been sick for 38 years did it. And it's a reminder that Jesus can address your deepest problems, your deepest sicknesses. Uh, and maybe you've wrestled with the same thing for decades. Maybe it's generational. Maybe it's been in your family for generations. Just one encounter with Jesus can completely set you free. And that's what we find in this story. But that's not actually the angle I want to focus on this morning. There are a couple of elements in this story that almost come off as kind of odd. Uh, and that's what I want to look at. Uh, one of them we just read, uh, the other we'll read shortly. But in, in verse 6 of John 5, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Uh, and I was thinking, what an odd question that is in these circumstances. Uh, because the same verse tells us that Jesus saw him lying there and Jesus... Uh, acknowledged that he had been in this condition for a long time and it was no secret that if people came to the pool of Bethesda and laid by the pool it was that because they were waiting to be for the angel to stir the waters so they could go in and be healed yet Jesus asked him still do you want to be healed now uh, here's what I believe uh, this man had been an invalid for 38 years uh, again, for him to even get in the water, someone would have to pick him up and place him in the water. Uh, if you have the same routine for 38 years, even if it's an unhealthy routine, it becomes comfortable in your own life. Uh, and there were things about this man's life that would have to change if he were healed. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, for 38 years, he had almost certainly survived strictly on the charity of others. If Jesus healed him, he would have to go to work. It, it meant a whole new way of life. Uh, you could say it this way, a changed life means a changed way of life. So Jesus begins with this question, do you want to get healed? Do you want to be well? Do you truly want to be well? Because to be made well means that you're going to have to change some things about your life. 
And I think this principle actually applies to us as well uh, because we, we serve a come-as-you-are God, not necessarily a stay-as-you-are God. And I said it a few years ago that Jesus does not want to be your Lord or your Savior. Jesus wants to be your Lord and your Savior. Jesus doesn't just want to uh, save you on the other side of eternity. He wants to impact the here and now, how you live your life on this earth. So I think this question that almost comes off as rhetorical or, or odd of, do you want to be well? Actually, it's a legitimate question. And Jesus makes another statement that suggests, if I bring healing to your life, there's an expected change in the way you live your life. And we find that in John chapter 5, a few verses later in verse 14, it says, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again, stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. So Jesus poses this question that implies a physical healing would change the way he lived his life. Now, the first thing I want to just point out uh, in this passage of scripture is Jesus is not establishing a doctrine that says when you're sick, you sinned that your sickness is a result of your sin. I've actually heard that before. That's ridiculous. There is so much more going on here. Jesus is not saying, if you're sick, you brought it on yourself. That's not the moral of the story here. And that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on those two words that Jesus said, stop sinning. Now, why is this a strange command to me? Because again, this man had been an invalid for the last 38 years, when we think of sin, we think of things that we do, things that we do with our hands, things that, that are actions, but this guy couldn't do anything. He was an invalid. Yet, yet Jesus says, not, not don't sin, he says, stop sinning. When I bring healing to your life, I want you to stop sinning. So if this guy couldn't physically do things with his hands, what's Jesus referring to? In all likelihood, he's talking to sins of the heart, sins of the mind, sins of, uh, with his eyes perhaps. And Jesus is challenging him, whatever that sin is, when I bring healing to your life, I want you to address this sin issue that's taking place in your life. And we have a, a similar scenario in our salvation. It's found in two very churchy words, justification and sanctification. One word, justification, uh, happens instantly the moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Just like the man in this story, in a moment, you are made whole, you are made perfect, you are made righteous, which is a fancy way of saying you are in right standing before God in an instant when you place your faith in Christ because when God looks down at you, he doesn't see how messed up you are. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in you. That's the grace of God and that's justification. It literally means you are declared innocent of wrongdoing. But the other word is sanctification. And this is an ongoing process in the Christian life where we seek to model our life uh, after Jesus Christ. We find an example of this in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, it says, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He has made perfect, just like the sick man in the story. He made him perfect. He made him whole. But it says, on the other hand, we are being made holy. That's a process of sanctification where we are being made more and more like Christ, seeking to live a life that honors God. 
Now, the vision for this year is to focus on the one. And this is just the first side of that that I want to challenge you with is to focus on one area in your life that God is challenging you to address. One area in your life that God is challenging you uh, to perhaps surrender to him to a greater level. Uh, I believe there are places in most of our lives that we haven't surrendered to God yet. And maybe it's like the man in the story. Maybe it's not a, a physical sin. Maybe it's something in our heart or in our mind. Maybe it's bitterness or unforgiveness or anxiety and worry. Uh, maybe you need to do like David and make a covenant with your eyes. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's something like that. Church, we live under the grace of God. We have been justified through Christ, we live by the grace of God. But Paul said in Romans 6, because we live under the grace of God, should we go on sinning? He said, by no means. The grace of God isn't licensed to sin. It's there to free us from, uh, from our, our, our being bound to sin. On the other hand, maybe it's not something that you're doing. Maybe it's something that you're not doing. Maybe God is challenging you to step up more and share your faith or, or to be more encouraging to others. Uh, and I say that I, I think God is just calling you in this moment to maybe focus on one thing that you can bring before God and say, God, I want to surrender this to you in 2023. Because uh, if God presented all of the issues that we could bring to him, it would be pretty overwhelming. Uh, and I think of the, the rich young ruler and Jesus said, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. And what Jesus could have said is, because you only lack one thing, you're in pretty good shape. But no, he says you lack one thing. So let's work on that one thing. Sell all your possessions and give to the poor. There's one thing that I want to work on in your life. So this year, I want to encourage you to seek God's help in addressing one place in your life that you can... Uh, more greatly surrender to him. And that's the first side of this focused on the one uh, vision for the year. The second side um, is actually a chapter prior in John chapter four. Uh, John chapter four, there's a story most of us are familiar with. It's the story of a Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, and we're gonna go more in depth into this story in a few weeks. So I'm not gonna go into the specifics, but in this story, Jesus encounters this unsuspecting and undeserving woman, and he changes her life. And after he impacts her life so greatly, the disciples walk up, and they're surprised to find Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. And that's where I want to pick up in John chapter 4, in verse 27. <clears throat> it says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why, do you, why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought, have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Sometimes Jesus says things that, like I mentioned before, are almost kind of strange. Other times it's not what he said so much as the timing of what he said. 
Uh, Jesus had this saying that he would say from time to time that the harvest is plentiful, or in this case, look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Uh, What's fascinating to me is if you go to to Matthew chapter 14, the Bible says that Jesus fed more than 5,000 men not to mention uh, women and children, miraculously with the the bread and fish. In the next chapter, Matthew 15, he feeds 4,000 more men besides women and children. Uh, So in both of these scenarios, Jesus is standing before crowds likely of over 10,000 people. And as Jesus is looking out over the thousands upon thousands of people, he doesn't say to his disciples, look at the multitudes, there's your harvest. Yet in John chapter 4, he touches the life of one single overlooked woman, undeserving woman, and he says, the fields are ripe for harvest. Because for Jesus, the harvest is not in the multitudes, it's in the individual. The harvest is not in the the multitudes, it's in the individual. We serve a God who the Bible says will leave the 99 to find the one. And that's the second aspect of what we're talking about today when we're talking about focusing on the one. It's not just the one area that God can redeem in your life, but it's the one person that God can reach through your life. Is there one person, one person in your life in 2023 that God is maybe saying, can you dedicate some time to invest into them to lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Who is the one person that God has placed in your life? Can we look at the one person and say, the fields are ripe for harvest? That God prepares hearts ahead of time for us just to step into what he's doing. And finally, there's one last side of this equation when we're talking about focusing on the one. Paul talks about this one specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, for us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. When we're talking about focusing or refocusing on the one, this is the one. It is changing our lives, altering our lives to focus on the one true God. And I want to show you what what Paul said here. Uh, He said, that this one God is who we live for. It, it sounds simple, but can we look at our lives and say, my life is lived for the purpose of the one true God? Or do we have motivations of our own uh, of you, you know, building up a retirement or, or whatever the case may be? Do, do we have our own uh, motivations in life? What I think God is calling us to is to go back to the basics of Christianity and say, we have one purpose, we have one motivator, we have one reason behind everything we do in life, and that's the one true God, and that's the love of the one true God who gave his son on the cross for us. I love how Paul framed it in 2 Corinthians 5 when he said, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He says the love of Christ is what compels us. It pushes us forward in everything we do. If we look uh, into Romans chapter 8, what we find is God's uh, love for Paul 
is really what sustained him. It sustained him through stints in prison and, and shipwrecks and you name it. Everything he went through, Paul said, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. And I believe that love of God is what sustained him. But I believe what we find here is it was the love of God for others that pushed him forward that motivated him to reach as many people as he could because he recognized that the love of God, the inseparable love of God is not just for me, but it's for others as well. So when we're talking about being focused on the one, it's the one place that God wants to redeem in our lives. It's the one person that God wants to reach through our lives. And it's just returning to the one true God as the motivation and the reason behind everything that we do in our lives. Uh, Renee, if you would come. Um, we're going to begin this year. I, I want to invite you to, to join us in something that we do every January uh, because of the, the way just the Sundays lined up this year. We're not going to start this week, but I want to invite you to, to join us on a church fast uh, beginning next week, uh, Monday through Wednesday. So it's January 9th to the 11th. Uh, in Joshua chapter 3, when Joshua was uh, preparing to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River, uh, he looked at the Israelites and he said this to them in verse 5. He told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. He was saying, set yourselves apart with the expectation that God is about to do something special. Uh, so next week, I want to invite you to be a part of a church fast for the purpose of expecting great things to come in 2023. Uh, we find fasting in scripture. Uh, in Esther chapter four, they fasted in a season of mourning. A few verses later, they called a fast because it was a time of desperation. In Acts 13 and Judges 20, they fasted uh, because they were seeking direction and clarity. If we go throughout the Bible, they fasted in seasons of worship, in seasons of, seasons of repentance, seasons just to return themselves to a place of humility, seasons where they were seeking spiritual strength, uh, and other times to seek the favor of God. There are all sorts of reasons to fast in the Bible. Uh, here's what I would say to you if, you if you're willing to participate in this fast. You don't have to say, have the same reason, but you want to have a reason. You want to have something that you're seeking God uh, out of that season, out of that time of fasting. Now, fasting is abstaining from something, usually food, for a spiritual purpose. Uh, it's spending time in prayer. Uh, if you fast food but you don't pray, that's called starving or dieting. Uh, if you fast food, not fast food like go to fast food places, but if you fast the food, then uh, spend that time in prayer. Uh, I, I want to say,
soups or, or something like that. Uh, but I, I don't, I definitely don't recommend doing no water uh, and for three days. I don't even know if you want to do just water, uh, but whatever, you know yourself. So we'll talk a little bit more about fasting next week and we're going to go into John chapter one. Uh, and what we'll do this week is we'll actually post John chapter one on the Facebook page as well. So translations if you want to uh, a few different thank you for listening to this week's message don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week and as always from all of us at cranberry community church may god bless you